Why do we study old battles? Historic examples of strategy help us to understand enduring lessons about why nations win or don't win wars. But historic battles and campaigns were fought using weapons, tactics, and other technology that seems to have little relevance to modern warfare. What is the value then in studying them? And if we should, then how might we go about it? That is the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Welcome to episode 65 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel, former instructor of the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College, the Naval War College, and currently contract faculty for the Army War College. These podcasts introduce what I believe are enduring lessons of war, lessons for any citizen to use in fulfilling their role in our country's deliberations about war, peace, and everything in between. These podcasts are not monetized or sponsored, not even by you, the listeners. So if you'd like these episodes to continue, if you think these are worthwhile, then please don't hesitate to hit like and let me know. This past week, I had the opportunity to visit the Gettysburg National Military Park and participate in a leadership staff ride. Now, this wasn't the first staff ride I'd been on. In fact, it was my fourth staff ride of the Gettysburg Battlefield, and I participated in or led staff rides of other battlefields of the Civil War, the Indian Wars, and in Europe. So, this should then lead to the obvious question of, what is a battlefield staff ride? Followed by, and why are they important to understanding war today? A staff ride places students on an historic battlefield, examining it from different perspectives of place and time during a battle, and then eliciting from them their thinking about what happened, why, and how things might have been different. It's more than just a battlefield tour, which is usually limited to what happened and when, and by whom. Rather, a staff ride includes analysis, discussion, the lessons that were learned by the combatants, and lessons to be learned by leaders in contemporary contexts. Battlefield staff rides have been part of officer professional education since at least the 17th century. The concept was formalized under the Prussian general staff in the mid-19th century. The idea, according to German Chief of the General Staff Helmut von Moltke, was to understand why a commander did or did not do the things he did in an historic battle. The student of that battle, therefore, needs to see what the commander saw, which meant going to where that commander was at different points in the battle. The same is true for subordinate commanders, whose actions impacted the decisions of the higher-level commander. After the Civil War and the German Wars of Unification, there was a great deal of exchange between those two respective armies, each learning from the experience of the other. As part of this exchange, American officers brought back the idea of the staff ride as part of the curriculum at the new U.S. Army General Service and Staff School, now known as the Command and General Staff College. These staff rides were organized at major Civil War battlefields, these battles still being fresh in the collective mind of the U.S. military. From the beginning, it was clear that the continued use of these battlefields for that purpose would require official preservation to keep them from being developed or otherwise altered. In 1890, the first national military park was established under the War Department. This was for the Battle of Chickamauga. This was followed by military parks at the battlefields of Antietam, Shiloh, Gettysburg, and Vicksburg. These parks were established by Congress, quote, 
to preserve for historical and professional study the battlefields themselves, but also to serve as lasting memorials to the great armies of the war." Unquote. Today, there are nine military parks in the National Park System, 11 national battlefields, and one battlefield monument. In 1933, administration of the National Military Parks was transferred to the National Park Service. A key feature of being a national military park under the National Park System was a measure passed by Congress in 1896 declaring that the primary purpose of these parks was, quote, to be national fields for maneuvers of the regular army and of the National Guard of the states, unquote. To this purpose, the Defense Department continues to have access to these parks for historical study and maneuvers in the form of staff rides. From then until the present day, the staff ride consists of three main components, a preliminary study, field study, and integration. The preliminary study is doing your homework. Learn about the battle before arriving at the battlefield. For example, before taking my family of three boys and my agreeable wife to Gettysburg, I had the boys watch the Gettysburg miniseries. In war college, we were required to read Michael Shara's historical novel, Killer Angels. Typically, military units and schools will have classroom presentations and maybe a map exercise before heading out to the field. The field study phase is, as the name implies, the actual battlefield staff ride. Students visit key sites in the battlefield, preferably in chronological order, and discuss what happened, the decisions that were made, and possible alternative courses of action. It's one thing to see the battle from on high, like in a map exercise where the student can take view of the entire course of the battle at a glance. It's another to see the battle from the perspective of those who had to make decisions with limited or faulty information. Finally, there is the process of integration. This can take place on the battlefield or in a classroom, but it should take place while events of the field phase are fresh in the students' minds. In this phase, students, now having seen the battlefield from different perspectives and over the course of the battle, will reassess what they saw and even reassess what they may have believed at earlier points of the staff ride. This is also a time to bring out lessons the original participants, those who fought the battle, learned or failed to learn. More importantly, it will be time to discuss what lessons the participants will take away from this experience. So. If we now know what a staff right is and where they take place in the United States, why are they of continuing importance to modern warfare? Why should we study battles where the primary weapons were muskets and sabers wielded by men on horses in an era when today we're in an era of guided missiles, tanks, and jet aircraft? Well, since the title of this series is The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare, you might guess that I have an answer for that. As I've said in previous episodes, War is a human endeavor. Human beings haven't changed throughout recorded military history. The reasons we make certain decisions, and especially battlefield decisions, remain remarkably unchanged. Even the course of a battle, its general outlines, have also followed similar patterns, at least since the time of Alexander the Great. For example, we may no longer fight in massed formations of infantry, and battles are no longer decided at the point of spear and bayonet. Well. Maybe some engagements are still decided by the bayonet. So let's say horses and sabers. But the things that the infantry and the horse cavalry were expected to accomplish on the battlefield still apply in contemporary battle. 
For example, Union General Buford's use of cavalry in the opening engagements of Gettysburg exactly mirror modern armored cavalry covering force tactics. Similarly, the cavalry action to the east of the main Gettysburg battlefield can be seen in contemporary flanking maneuvers and flank guard operations. More importantly, human thought remains the same. This is especially true of leadership dilemmas, those that challenge the ability to secure the willing obedience on the part of subordinates, while being open to changing their plans or decisions based on information provided by those subordinates. This also includes what the subordinate leader can do when the higher commander seems to be, and sometimes is, dangerously wrong. The staff ride is an excellent opportunity for this analysis. On the ground, the student gets a better perspective of what the historic commander saw, knew, or didn't know, or couldn't know. The prior study and guidance by the staff ride director can bring out factors not available in a map analysis. Were the troops fatigued and malnourished, or were they fresh and eager to fight? Did two commanders not get along? Did subordinate leaders not trust the superior? Conversely, did subordinates place too much trust in a leader who, because he wasn't on the scene, couldn't see what the ground actually looked like and how events were transpiring? It's most unlikely that we will ever fight on those same battlefields again, and most certainly not with those weapons. The goal, however, is something else. It's to identify enduring challenges in leadership and battle planning that can be applied to other circumstances and other places. For me, this most recent experience allowed me to reflect on leadership lessons I learned over my military career and how I may have come to forget or neglect some of those lessons. Once again, this podcast is not monetized or sponsored, so if you'd like these episodes to continue, if you think these are worthwhile, then hit the like button and share the podcast. After you do that, if you have the opportunity, I encourage you to go out on a staff ride at a nearby national military park or battlefield. If participating with a military unit or institute is impractical for you, the National Park Service can arrange for a ranger-led staff ride. Information is available on the National Park Service's websites. I assure you, you will come away with a different perspective on leadership and a greater appreciation for those who have gone before us. Staff rides give us yet one more tool to apply ancient art to modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer.